0: God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. What we're going to look at today is the righteousness of God. Take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 54. And in verse 17, we read, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that thou shalt rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. And listen to this this is the heritage. Of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. There is hardly a topic that is more important to the Christian spiritual peace than that which relates to his being made righteous by God. An act of such divine grace and so far out of the realm of human thought. That few are able to fully relish in how gloriously true it is. Where sinners who are worthy of condemnation because of their faith in the Son of God are then made righteous by God. Thus, by becoming part of God's family, they have as their eternal heritage being made righteous by God. It makes no difference, therefore, what the world thinks of God's elect simply because their righteousness is purposed to make them both cleansed and forgiven in heaven. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, we read, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. God does not justify a man because he finds himself pure. There are no such men as these. Hence, sinners should not think that justification is the result of progressive and developed human purity. It is not. For none will be found righteous by God through their own thought-to-be purification process. If this were the case, then the righteousness spoken of would be man's. Not until then men become spiritually enlightened enough to believe that they cannot produce righteousness on their own will they turn to Christ, teaching us that as long as men remain blind to the truth, then they will wrongly assume that self and personal righteousness will be accepted by God. But this can never be the case. If men place their faith in themselves for righteousness, then you can be sure that they have canceled out all hope of being clothed with it in heaven. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, we read, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, faith in self, yielding nothing but disappointment before God. The more proud a man is, though, the more he will insist that he is the exception to the rule, and that God shall receive him in his fleshly state. This false belief is based on imagination and fails to consider any of God's true revelation. Even as the greatest enemy to men entering heaven is trusting in themselves, that through themselves heaven will receive them. By men also inserting themselves as the head of their own religion, they prove themselves as rejecting the ministry of God's Son. Ultimately, then, every man will place his faith and trust somewhere, either in himself or in God and the ministry of God's Son. Those, then, who choose to not put their faith in Jesus Christ prove themselves as remaining confident in their flesh nature. Yet there are none born of the flesh that through it Can please God. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, we read, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The principle by which divine righteousness is imparted to the repentant sinner is through faith in Christ. Through faith in God's Son, sin is pardoned and heavenly righteousness is granted. This is a tremendous act of grace on God's part, where through trust, Reliance and obedience to the Son of God, sin is removed and a new standing in heaven is given. And because God is the source of this generous and benevolent action, then no human or any other celestial being has power to reverse it. Simply because to overrule the righteousness that God imparts to the saint would require one greater than God of whom does not exist. It is also important to understand that the righteousness given through Christ has no human element in it besides faith in Christ. Thus, God's righteousness is not developed, polished, or improved human righteousness. Since also the flesh can never be brought to become righteous, it can never through its own ability create anything to glory in before the Lord." And in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, we read, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Repentance for fleshly sin, therefore, is critical for salvation, since the flesh can never be either refined or reformed sufficiently enough to be saved, teaching us that that which is unable to be reformed can only then be forgiven. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, we read, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Ellicott on this first. Christ is that which brings the functions of the law to an end by superseding it, end quote. With the coming of Jesus Christ, all other means of justification before God ended. So that if men still desire to be made righteous, then only by faith in Christ, can this be accomplished. Thus, as far as God is concerned, no longer can righteousness come from anything or anyone other than through His Son. By superseding the law, Jesus replaced all religious ceremonialism and has instead brought about the principle of justification by faith through Himself. Jesus is the sum and substance of obtaining God's righteousness. And apart from him, it cannot be possessed. And in John chapter 14, 6, we read, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Barnes on this verse. No man cometh to the Father but by me. To come to the Father is to obtain his favor, to have access to his throne by prayer, and finally to enter his kingdom. No man can obtain any of these things except by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. By coming by him is meant coming in his name and depending on his merits. We are ignorant, as he alone can guide us. We are sinful, and it is only by his merits that we can be pardoned. We are blind. And he only can enlighten us. God has appointed him as the mediator and has ordained that all blessings shall descend to this world through him. Hence, he has put the world under his control, has given the affairs of men into his hand, and has appointed him to dispense whatever may be necessary for our peace, pardon, and salvation. Quote. Understanding. That only through Christ can heaven be gained puts us in a better position to realize that Christ alone is the sole path for gaining divine righteousness before the Father. How simple also has God made it for sinners to be justified in His sight. How clear a path has the Lord provided for those unrighteous in themselves to be justified in His sight. That by placing themselves under the Son of God's rule who is himself now the whole law of God, righteousness can be given. So also by believing on the Son of God and making Jesus Lord, all that God previously demanded of man through the Old Testament law can be fulfilled. A man thus has but one path for justification. Now that Jesus has come to the earth and it is found in his redemptive work for man, Barnes on Romans chapter 10, verse 4. The main design or object with the perfect obedience of the law would accomplish is accomplished by faith in Christ. That is, perfect obedience to the law would accomplish justification before God, securing His favor and eternal life. The same end is now accomplished by faith in Christ. The great design of both is the same, and the same great end is finally gained. Since the law can no longer produce either righteousness or justification, then if Christ's lordship is refused, there remains no other means for God's righteousness to be received. If men then reject the Son of God by not making him Lord in their life, then there is found no other suitable way to ever be made right before God. Since Christ has replaced the law, to reject Him is to declare we have no wish or desire for God to be over us. Likewise, for those who refuse to yield to the Son of God's lordship, it is proof that they have chosen to reject and refuse God's rule. Yet like with the previous Old Testament law, any who rejected it died without mercy, teaching us as well that the same or greater punishment will be executed for those who both despise and reject God's Son. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, we read, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of which sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and then counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Few realize that when they reject the Son of God, then all chance of heavenly mercy is withdrawn from them so that if men will not receive the Son of God, then they have practically rejected all that the cross offered in pardoning sinners and making them righteous before God. When then God's grace is trodden underfoot, there is divinely promised death without mercy, rejection of the Son, ultimately resulting in completely removing ourselves from any chance of receiving mercy from God. Those then who do not embrace Jesus because of hardness of heart and a lack of affection for divine goodness remove all hope of God's mercy being given to them. And since they have rejected He who came to die for sin, then sin and its punishment must be borne by themselves. Ellicott on this verse. There is no medium between the highest reverence and utter contumely in such a case to those who did not receive Jesus as Lord, but instead said he was a deceiver, Matthew 27, 63, saying, sir, we remember that, that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again and one who deserved to die, End quote. Yet there is no middle ground between the reverence for the Lord Jesus and a rejection of His God-given lordship over all creation. So also, if men will not yield to the Son of God, and the grace of God brought through Him, then they approve themselves as creatures unworthy to be reformed, so that if Jesus is rejected, then all divine mercy for sin has vanished. For the saint, though, who has believed upon the Son of God, and yielded himself to both the Spirit and the Word of God, as authority in his life, a much different future lies ahead. And because of justification for sin, then sin can no longer impede God's blessings from being parted to him. Righteousness also signifying that many good things await the believer in the future, just as certainly as judgment does the God rejecter. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we read, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Barnes on this verse. Then he also called, called by his spirit to become Christians. He called, not merely by an external invitation, but in such a way as that they in fact were justified. This cannot refer simply to an external call of the gospel. Since those who are here said to be called are said also to be justified and glorified. The meaning is that there is a certain connection between the predestination and the call, which will be manifested in due time. The connection is so certain that the one infallibly secures the other. He justified. Not that he justified them from eternity, for this was not true. And if it were, it would also follow that he glorified them from eternity which would be an absurdity. It means, then, that there is a regular sequence of events. The predestination precedes and secures the calling, and the calling precedes and secures the justification. The one is connected in the purpose of God with the other, and the one, in fact, does not take place without the other. The purpose was in eternity, the calling and justifying in time. Them he also glorified. This refers probably to heaven. It means that there is a connection between justification and glory. The one does not exist without the other in its own proper time, as the calling does not subsist without the act of justification. This proves, therefore, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. There is a connection infallible and ever existing between the predestination. And the final salvation. They who are subjects of the one are partakers of the other. In between predestination and glory lies the believer's justification. Predestination was of God. The call was of God. Justification is surely of God. And so shall, by God's divine will, the believer be glorified according to God's will. All is according to God's good pleasure, and all is the source of God's good will. Thus, just as surely as men are called by God through His Son, so also God is determined, shall they be equally both justified and glorified through His Son. And like with all God's gifts, imparting to men divine righteousness coincides with the very nature of God. The Lord is good, and we His people are the beneficiaries of that goodness. From then, God's good hand and purposed will has been given a heavenly standing of righteousness before Himself. Lastly, let us emphasize the great reality that the righteousness that the believer receives through Christ is solely God's. It does not come from man, And there is nothing in man to make him such as God makes him in Christ. And though God has made it our possession, we should not think that it is because of any part of our flesh nature. Faith in Christ is the means by which it has been imputed to us. Consequently, to look towards any other place than Christ will only result in doubting its existence. By faith, then, we have believed upon God's Son, And by faith should we also trust in the righteousness given to us through His Son. Amen.